0: folks welcome in to pickaxe and roll brought to you by our good friends over at superbook sports i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter part of the mile high sports podcast network and i'm excited to talk about last night's denver nuggets win as the nuggets defeated the indiana pacers final score 114 109 a good game a fun game one of those ones that uh it's again they're they're wins that you're getting throughout the regular season that there are certain elements that you'll remember. There are certain elements that you won't. Uh, Jokic was great. Murray was great. And then the game winner or game clincher at the end was sublime. Uh, Good stuff from the Nuggets. Good stuff from the Jokic-Murray duo. And a lot of fun. Just a, a lot of fun to watch that last night. I know Recording this at noon, we've got a couple of things on the Mile High Sports channel that we're trying out uh, from a timing perspective. I may be getting into a relatively um, just reasonable uh, schedule about noon for this show. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen the entire time, but my guess, my expectation is that I'll probably be recording a lot of these shows around noon especially during the week. There's some things that we've got coming up going forward that I I think are going to be a lot of fun for people to to try out and for for me to try out. Uh, But yeah, this show will go live on uh, today, Wednesday, at about noon. Sorry for a little bit of a delay. Uh, And then on Friday, we'll be at noon as well, following Denver's game against the New York Knicks tomorrow at Madison Square Garden. So not the immediate... Sort of reaction that I know a lot of people like from me, uh, but certainly I will be reacting nonetheless. Uh, And then Weekends with Swiper will be this weekend, most likely uh, after the Philly game on Saturday. uh, Because that is an afternoon game, we may decide to go live that evening, especially if it's a big game. Uh, But in all likelihood, it'll be after Saturday, after Saturday's game against Philly, and it could be on Sunday morning. So keep an eye out for that. On this episode, we are going to go over the Nuggets' effort against the Indiana Pacers and how much effort they put in trying to stop Denver. Uh, They did a pretty solid job, I would say, trying to stop Denver in their tracks, but ultimately the Nuggets prevailed anyway. It was a good sign for the Nuggets that they were able to do that, despite the fact that Denver did not play that well. I'm going to go over the Jokic Murray minutes uh, and different combinations for those minutes. I think that's an important aspect. Of understanding who the Nuggets are, and I'm gonna go over like some details that I think a lot of people are sort of glossing over when it comes to the rotation, and then we'll wrap up for a battle for the first seed in the Western Conference and what that looks like for the Nuggets going forward. All right, let's go over this game. Uh, Denver lost three of the four quarters of this game. They were not perfect, certainly not. Uh, there were good performances from Jokic, good performances from Murray, and that was about it. <laughs> that was about it for the Nuggets, and it's unfortunate that that kind of uh, just seems to happen pretty frequently. But Jokic and Murray were very good throughout this one. Murray a little bit less efficient, but Jokic was sublime as always. Uh, and then around them, there were just uh, there was a little bit of an airing out. Uh, Michael Porter missed a bunch of open shots. Aaron Gordon. Still trying to figure out Aaron Gordon because I think he is, he he went three of five last game uh, yesterday, but the actual amount of physicality that he played with was saved on the defensive end. He very rarely went into the paint, and I wonder if that shoulder strain is bothering him more than maybe he's letting on, more than the team is letting on, and that they're just trying to get through this road trip. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Um But Michael Porter struggled. KCP, he came alive in the third quarter a little bit, gave Denver a little bit of a boost. He had 14 points total on the game. Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, they combined for 14. So this was not the spread the ball around to the entire starting unit kind of game. This was a Jokic and Murray kind of game. And they had to survive that way. They had to do it. And the Pacers made them work for it the entire time. It was a very impressive performance from the Pacers, who are a pretty physical team, are a pretty aggressive team, especially on the defensive end. But it wasn't just there. Like, they were driving to the rim pretty consistently. They were doing everything they could to attack Denver in the paint. And they were doing it on both ends of the floor and being very physical with Denver. Ultimately, though, the reason the Nuggets actually won this game was not a lot to it was Jokic and Murray on the offensive end, but also on the defensive end, the Pacers made five total threes. Five of twenty one from three is not going to cut it, and that's probably something that's probably where they missed uh, Tyrese Halliburton the most because he's one of the best three point shooters in the NBA right now, and just having him create some of those open shots and then make some of the step back threes that he likes to take, Denver probably would have lost the game yesterday. I'm not going to lie, but he wasn't there. And Denver survived, and they advanced, and they won their third road game in a row. And a lot of it was down to the Jokic-Murray two-man game. Uh, that was how Jokic created his open shot. In uh, or It wasn't really even open shot, but it was just a, a rhythm three-pointer that he stepped into in the final seconds. Uh, but Jokic had 31 points on 13 of 19, three of four from three, including two threes. That were ultimately, like, dagger shots. One of those came at the end of the first half, where he stepped into a three. Murray passed him the ball on the right wing. Jokic was calling for it, and he's like, I'm going to get a shot up here. And he just absolutely nailed that one. And then, lo and behold, final seconds of the game. Because Murray has been aggressive with his shot, uh, the Pacers decide to aggressively trap him on the right side of the floor, closer to half court than I think maybe they realized. Turner came out there. Uh, Murray passes the ball to Jokic at the top of the key. Jokic realizes, "Hey, there's nobody really guarding me here," so he steps into a three pointer. Absolutely drains it, despite the fact that Miles Turner recovered right to his face and put a put a hand right in his face, and it just did not matter. So good on him for staying ready. He was locked in. Jokic was locked in from the jump. I thought that Turner did some good things against him to actually hold him to 13 of 19. There were some good possessions defensively that Turner had, and it just didn't matter. It just did not matter in any way, shape, or form because Jokic is that dude. Thirty-one points, thirteen rebounds, ten assists, only one turnover, had a block. I thought Jokic's defense was pretty good in this one, and plus nine in a game that the Nuggets win by five. That's usually going to get it done. Usually going to be just fine. All Denver can have is they they can't have the bench be a complete disaster and it wasn't Uh, like Reggie Jackson was a minus 14, but that was more circumstantial because Jamal Murray was a plus 17, very odd minute distribution and point distribution for Denver's actual production and efficiency there. But look, they, they figured it out. They, uh, they made it work and it was nice to, it was nice to see. Murray, as I mentioned, uh, very good in this one. He really got Denver off to a great start. 20 points in the first half and finished with 31. Did finish 11 of 24 from the field, so not his most efficient performance. But on this one specifically, I'm willing to give him a pass because it really did feel like Jokic and Murray versus the rest of the world in in this game. Porter wasn't giving them anything. Gordon wasn't being aggressive. Maybe it's because of the shoulder. KCP figured some stuff out in the third quarter, but how often are you going to feature KCP in some of his actions? So really, it was Jokic-Murray two-man game, and when it wasn't Jokic out there, it was Murray isolated and pick and roll and post up and things, right, th- things like that because the bench continues to be sort of a tire fire uh, when it comes to actual production and efficiency. Um, Reggie figured some stuff out, but still not, not his best performance either. But it was interesting to watch Murray and Jokic kind of navigate this because it, it looked very much like the Celtics game in a lot of ways where the Celtics were taking away a lot of things from Denver and from their role players, and they were forcing Jokic and Murray to take some tough shots and make them, and they did. And in this game, Indiana, playing that matchup two-on-two, two, they weren't sending double teams. They weren't really doing anything too crazy. They were playing those matchups two-on-two two and trying to recover. And Jokic still found a way to get a triple double because he's Nikola Jokic, but he also was very aggressive with his own shot. 13 of 19 is good. And then he also like he only attempted two free throws. But between those two, like they took a bunch of the shots. They took a bunch of the possessions. Uh, Murray, like he, his usage rate continues to climb in the minutes without Jokic. Like he is the featured guy. And there's just a lot of opportunities for him to shoot. Um, He's got to be more efficient in those moments, I think. But there's like, again, he was a plus 17 in this game tonight. So I'm not really going to criticize it too much. Uh, 31 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Shot three of nine from the three-point line. And I thought missed some open shots that that he would normally hit. So it could have even been better from him. But good on him for delivering here. Good on him for figuring some stuff out. Uh, just a very, very nice performance from the two-man game and something that I think Denver's going to have to go to on a consistent basis here. Uh, I liked what I saw from Denver, despite the fact that Indiana came back in the fourth quarter. Indiana punched them in the mouth. They were very, very physical. TJ McConnell did a great, great job. He led the entire Indiana team in plus 10. He was physical. He was driving the paint every single possession that he could. And crack Denver's defense down as best as he could. The problem is that Indiana just didn't have enough shooting around him. Uh, five of 21 from three, as I mentioned, Aaron Neesmith went O of one of seven. Miles Turner went zero of five. Miles Turner was actually hitting pull-up twos at a higher rate than he was hitting spot up threes. And he had a wide open three towards the end of the game. Like Denver was just like in a zone. They were trying to figure out how to guard that. I'm still trying to figure out why Denver goes zone in some of those possessions because they often give up an open three and then miles Turner just bricked it. he he bricked it pretty hard and Jokic grabbed the rebound and Denver survived and they, they figured it out on the other end, but still an interesting thing to have to navigate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Martin, I think you've, you've got the, the nail on the head here. Um, the attempted Christian Brown drive in the second unit, getting stuck and then passing to Jamal, that's just... That's the thing that I've been noticing for a while that a lot of folks have been giving Christian a pass on. But that just can't happen. Like He's just got to be more definitive with his moves and he's got to figure out what to do. And if he doesn't know what to do, then he's going to get to a place where he can't play. Um, I am worried... About Christian. And we'll talk about that more in the second segment. I've said my piece on it several times, including on Twitter. But like, I think that Denver needs more from him. I think that they can get more from him, but there is a clear pecking order forming right now with Denver's minutes and their rotations, where I think that Peyton Watson is sort of taking his minutes and he's earned them. So we're going to talk about that on the other side. But before that, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about. Christian Brown, and Denver's minutes and what they need from Jokic and Murray lineups throughout the year. But first, we are changing the game here at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now you can use their promo code MILEHIGH and you'll score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. This is superbook.com. For terms and conditions, gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the show. Let's chat about the Jokic and Murray minutes. This is something that I wanted to talk about and something that I think Denver needs to figure out, obviously. There's a lot that they got to navigate. There's a a lot that we've got to discuss with it. But I think the one thing that we are starting to learn about Denver's rotation that we learned last year, and it's kind of more of a, hey, relearn this thing, is... They Jokic and Murray are going to play. They're going to play in those staggered minutes. They're going to play together. They're going to play apart. It's going to be when, when the going gets tough, Jokic and Murray are going to go to the two-man game, and that's something that people are just going to have to live with. That's how it's going to go. And Denver won a championship doing that, and that's great. How they go to that and when they go to that, when they choose to go to that, I think is up for debate. and. Throughout the game, Denver is now developing these rotation patterns, these lineup patterns where Denver needs certain things throughout the game to happen. Let me explain. Jokic, One of Jokic or Murray is going to be on the floor the entire time. So what Denver has been going to lately as Murray has gotten healthier, Jokic and Murray will play together in the first quarter, the first half, and there will be some balance to... How they approach the game. It's gonna be hey, we'll go to the two-man game sometimes, but a lot of the times, let's try to get Michael Porter involved, let's try to get Aaron Gordon involved, KCP, guys like that. Denver will go to those, and they'll go to that more consistently in the first half of the game. And in the early third quarter. Next, when Murray comes off the floor, preparing to come back onto the floor for the non-Jokic minutes, Jokic only lineups are going to feature a lot of Jokic post-ups, a lot of isolations. Denver will run the occasional pick and roll with Reggie Jackson, but really what that's trying to do is set the floor for Jokic to isolate at the top of the key or at the free throw line extended. Those are the places on the floor where he is most likely to operate, and then if that doesn't work, he'll go to the low post, he'll go to the mid post, and he will try to create a shot for himself or his teammates from there. And those are good minutes. Those are good. Like I I like what they do when they get the ball to Jokic. Like that's a, that's a good strategy every single time. So no criticisms there. When Jokic comes on the, off the floor and Murray comes back on, Denver goes into the Murray plus bench minutes where sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Let me give uh, some numbers here actually. So the The Jamal Murray, Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, DeAndre Jordan lineup that's been playing lately actually has a minus two net rating, which is not that bad. It's not what people would expect. It is a group where Murray leads it and Reggie Jackson's kind of the secondary ball handler there, and they go back and forth. And sometimes Murray runs pick and roll. Sometimes he isolates or posts up. Sometimes they'll run Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan pick and rolls. But more than anything, it's, it's those three guys that are sort of the fulcrum of what they're doing. Jamal and Reggie are the leading scorers, and then DeAndre Jordan is the leading screener. And there were, uh, there were some comments earlier uh, from Martin specifically. Ryan, why the repeated screening violations? Do the bigs not listen, or has this not been coached? It's really disrupting the second unit offensive flow. Um, DeAndre has always been a physical screener. And his reflexes are not as great as they were early in his career, so he's going to get hit with the occasional screening violation because he's a little bit slower, and because teams are looking for that now, Co- uh, referees are looking for that. And a guy like TJ McConnell or Andrew Nemhard or Aaron East Smith, the guys on Indiana who are being very physical, they are going to like they're taught to flop on those screens. They're taught to scream they are taught to yell, they are taught to fall over anytime they feel a screen could possibly be moving. And that is good coaching for them. That's from Rick Carlisle, and a lot of teams will have that happen as well. Zeke Nagy just doesn't know what he's doing, and he doesn't know the timing of it. He is still too slow to read the game and when a screen is necessary, and he moves too fast. And then that's where... Like he, he moves too fast almost to catch up, and that is where a lot of those violations will happen. And so Denver's got two different guys that are setting these screens that are their leading screen attempt guys that get flagged, get caught, and those are always going to be pretty high leverage mistakes. Um, now, fortunately, they're dead ball turnovers, so it's not, like, it's not like they're immediately handing the ball to the opposing team with a runway to the rim. But it's not really helping Denver's second unit. I think that Murray could do a better job. I think that Reggie could do a better job of setting up those screens a little bit better. But at some point, there's got to be on the bigs. And Denver's just got to get a better big man who will screen better, who will just be a better screener and more active and more physical, but also like understanding when to be physical and when not to be physical. And I don't think that DeAndre does that very well. I think that Zeke has no concept of it at all. But Denver, in the Murray-only minutes, their formula has to be defend, rebound, and run first and foremost. So the problem that Denver's been getting themselves into with that lineup specifically, and, and keep in mind, it's still a minus two net rating so far in a, a, like just over 100 possessions, so nothing crazy. But Reggie and Jamal, Jamal specifically in this Indiana game, was horrible defensively. He was not good. Reggie is just undersized and is very clearly at odds when you're trying to have him block out on the on the weak side for offensive for protecting the defensive glass, things like that. DeAndre doesn't move as well as he probably should, or as he probably could if he were three years younger or something. And Christian Brown is undersized for a three, Peyton Watson's undersized for a four. And so Denver kind of gets screwed up on the rebounding aspect of this. Now, Denver's defense with that group is actually pretty solid. Like, they're they're actually okay. And Peyton Watson deserves a ton of credit for that. Christian Brown, I don't give a ton of credit to because his defense has taken a step back. But it's still better than a lot of other people. So I don't want to just sit here and say that he can't do it. He can. He's just got to be better at it. Um... But then like Murray's defense in this last one was bad, but sometimes it's good. So like Denver can be okay in those situations. The other problem though, is that Denver just can't run transition offense for whatever reason. It's actually worse with their starting group, but the actual transition offense has been horrible for the team so far. And I'm I'm just not sure why that is. Denver needs a guy, whether it's at the center spot or just another forward who can hit transition threes, or run to the rim, or do some of the things that Jeff Green was doing. And Jeff, I I have a lot of complaints. He's never going to be a guy that rebounds, but he also was like understanding of his weaknesses, and Denver was still able to figure that out. Right now, they're still trying to figure out who to play and, and those different combinations. So still waiting on that. The pick and roll and ISO aspect, Denver just needs like like we talked about with the uh, Zeke and Deandre. They need a pick and roll big man or a pick and pop big man. Someone that understands what to do and is more dangerous than a Zeke or Deandre. Because what are those guys really going to do in the pick and roll beyond set a screen and dive? It's just not a lot. There's not a lot there. And if Denver had somebody who was more versatile, like an Aaron Gordon, for example, uh, then usually those things look a little bit better. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to get that. I don't know if that's something that's going to be able to happen. But what I do know is that if Denver is going to use this, this formula with Jokic and Murray playing together, then Jokic playing by himself, then Murray playing by himself, then Jokic playing by himself, then Jokic and Murray back on the floor together, If they're going to do that in both halves, then they absolutely have to find a way to maximize those Murray minutes by playing better players. Or not playing better players, like by finding the right mix of guys that are going to be able to help out there. And I'm still waiting on that for them because I think that this is a pretty big hole that they can fill. And it might be as simple as Get a more athletic version of where DeAndre Jordan is at right now, or get somebody who's a little bit bigger than Zeke that does a lot of the same skills but is less, like, overwhelmed by the physicality of it, and maybe that'll be just fine. Like, maybe Nick Richards is your guy. Maybe De'Ron Sharp is your guy. Maybe, like, they could find some of these other fringe big men. Like, maybe an Andre Drummond is just fine in that, in that circumstance, and... All Denver needs from that is somebody who they could rely upon for that specific skill and they'd be okay. Like Andre Drummond, pretty good passer for a big man. He also has the athleticism and the offensive rebounding skill to do the things that DeAndre Jordan does. So maybe there's something there. Now, the Chicago Bulls are still trying to buy. They're still trying to figure some stuff out. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. but. That is something that I'm looking at. I think Denver, going forward, that needs to be their biggest thing that they address. And it could be something that they address in the draft next year. It could be something that they address in free agency. But they can get a backup big man who does some good things. It has not been Zeke. Maybe it will be Zeke next year. It's just not going to be him this year. But it's not going to be DeAndre Jordan. Like, they got to be better than that. I would also love to see Julian Strother back to provide more spacing for a Murray pick and roll, but Malone said today on Altitude Radio, I believe, that he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Julian Strother will be. So Denver's going to be at a disadvantage here from a spacing perspective and from an athleticism and like pick and roll perspective with the second unit. So the fact that Murray was plus 17 yesterday is kind of surprising. I did not expect that especially with the way that Indiana kind of runs their rotation. So going to have to figure it out. Going to have to wait and see. I'm looking forward to seeing how Denver approaches it, but wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if Justin Holliday gets a call and maybe subs in for Christian Brown at some point. Because Christian is still behind the eight ball here in terms of what Denver needs from him. He doesn't really know where to go. doesn't really know where to be. And that is a weakness right now, For Denver's offense with the second unit, and fortunately they've been getting enough defensive stops that it hasn't been too crazy. But they're still their defense is still not good, so there's a lot of things to figure out with that second unit. And I think this road trip is really bringing that to light. Um, I continue to notice the weakness from the backup center spot, and maybe it's just not something that Denver can really figure out until Aaron Gordon can play the backup center full time, and that's going to wait until the playoffs. So. Look, Denver's going to have to build their lineups out. They're going to have to figure it out. But if Denver's going to run Murray plus bench lineups, you got to find ways to bolster it. You got to find ways to make it better. And that is like I've just listed a couple ways. So we will see. Folks, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about the one seed, a battle at the top of the Western Conference between Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Denver, and surprisingly, the Los Angeles Clippers. I did not expect that, but. Here come the clippers. We'll be right back. But first, good morning, Broncos Good morning, Broncos, I believe, is now going at 10 a.m every day. Uh, and it may not be every day. maybe like three or four times a, three or four times a week. We're still trying to figure that out on the MHS side of things, but. Because Good Morning Broncos is going at 10 a.m., you will not see me at 10 a.m. going live. I might go live at noon instead, which is is why I talked about the things that I talked about earlier. So rather than going live at uh, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., I'll probably go live at noon going forward for much of this time so that we could figure out the schedule for Good Morning Broncos and Pickaxe and Roll on the MHS channel. But yeah, make sure to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you can. That would help us out tremendously. All right, final segment here. Let's talk about the battle for the one seed. Right now, the standings are thus. OKC is first in the Western Conference at 30 and 13. Tied for them, but behind them in the pecking order due to tiebreakers. Minnesota at 30 and 13. The Nuggets are at third. At 31 and 14. So they've got one more loss, one more win. Uh, not surprised that like you can't make up wins, or you, you, you can make up wins, but you cannot make up losses. So that's the way to kind of think about the, the standings here. Denver's at 14 losses. OKC and Minnesota are at 13 losses. Assume that those teams win the next two games to even up with Denver, and they go to 32 and 13. So that Denver, like, Denver's gonna have to make up a game, despite the fact that they're technically tied in the win loss standings. And then number four is the Clippers at 28 and 14. They have 14 losses themselves. Denver's got 14 losses. Minnesota and OKC have 13 losses. Those four teams are right there. They are very close to each other. And I am curious to see how it breaks down. I'm not sure what it's gonna look like. But those four teams. If you told anybody at the beginning that, if you told every, everybody at the beginning that OKC, Minnesota, Denver, and the Clippers were going to be the top four seeds in the West, they would have laughed at you. It would have been Phoenix. It would have been the Lakers. It would have been Golden State. It would have been held the the Grizzlies or the Kings, who were the second and third seeds last year. Uh, it would have been those teams. But OKC last year was, I think, the tenth seed. Minnesota, I believe, was the ninth seed, if I'm not mistaken. And the Clippers were, I think, the fifth seed. But they were, uh, uh, they were basically tied for fourth. So not really surprising there. But trading for James Harden has really helped them. Like they they have been a really, really, really good basketball team, and are a very dangerous group. Maybe the most dangerous in the entire NBA uh, here. So fascinating to see. Um, Sorry if you can hear the cat behind me. Um, He's uh, decided right now that he was going to jump in on the recording time. So thank you. Thank you, Cat. Minnesota and OKC for the rest of the season have a bottom five remaining schedule strength. So what that means is that they've got easy schedules the rest of the way. Uh, They've gone through pretty tough schedules at the beginning here, and they've navigated that reasonably well. One of the reasons they've been navigating it reasonably well is because they haven't been playing a bunch of rest disadvantage games where they have like zero days off or one day off and the other team has two days or three days off. Uh, Usually they have been schedule advantage teams, a rest advantage team, despite the fact that they've been playing some tough teams. And so when you're playing the tough teams, if you're OKC or Minnesota, But you're always rested, and you're always more rested than the other team. That's the secret to the NBA schedule: is you just have to survive in those moments. Like, and it's easier to survive when you're well rested throughout the year. So, OKC Minnesota been relatively healthy as well, uh, especially with their stars. But Minnesota just had this weird, weird moment where they faced the Charlotte Hornets on, I believe, Monday night. It might have been, or, yeah, it might have been, yeah, it was Monday night. And Carl Anthony Towns dropped 62 points. He was fantastic. He was really, really good, especially in the first half. He had 44 first half points. And they lost the game because they were too focused on trying to get him 81, trying to get him to Kobe Bryant. And they gave him a lot of shot opportunities. They were force-feeding him. They were doing everything they could to put him into a position to succeed. And the team was more focused on that than they were focused on winning. And Charlotte came back and snuck up and actually stole the game. And that's one of those moments that you – and the way that they talked about it afterward, like Chris Finch was talking about them being like emotional and immature and just not ready to play. They were – like, yeah, calling a team immature is never a good sign. And I know Michael Malone has done this before. So Chris Finch, you better know his group. You better know – Exactly what his group is about, because if that backs if that backfires, then Minnesota could be uh in a little bit of trouble because their chemistry has been so good up until this point, despite the fact that it seems like Carl Anthony Towns is really a stranger in his own locker room. There's everybody else, and there's Carl Anthony Towns. And the team tried to feature him, they tried to get him a good number, and it actually lost them the game this time. So I wonder if that puts their their relationships there in a lot of stress. Now, OKC is lovable. They they like each other a lot. They do everything they can for each other. They're just a young team that is still trying to figure themselves out. They remind me of the Nuggets back in 2019, 2020. Um, So, Minnesota and OKC, they're bottom five in remaining schedule strength, as I mentioned. Denver and the Clippers are middle of the pack. They're going to have to. Fight through that. They're gonna to have to figure that out. Now, the key here, of what could help Denver is the rest disadvantage games, as I mentioned before. Minnesota, OKC, and the Clippers all are in the top four in terms of the most rest disadvantage games going forward. But if the teams aren't resting, if they aren't like taking advantage of that, let's say that Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, those guys are all gonna play for Minnesota. Let's like they're all gonna play on the back to backs. Shea, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren, guys like that, they're all going to play on the back to backs, and they're still so young that, like, not as worried about them burning out. And then the Clippers, that one is a little bit different. Like, those guys, they've played every game. Kawhi, Paul George, James Harden, those guys, like, despite the fact that they were tacked with the load management label for much of their tenures over the course of the last couple of years, especially Kawhi and PG, like, those guys have played a lot. They've earned that. And like credit to them for, for turning that around, because it's kind of turned around their culture a little bit, along with James Harden just getting there. So really interesting to see whether what that means for them if they continue to play. Are they going to tire out as a veteran team? Usually you see those teams resting, uh, but I'm not sure if the Clippers are going to do that or not. So I think the Clippers are still most likely the fourth best team. They're most likely the group that sits at the four seed at the end of all this. but. Between OKC, Minnesota, and Denver, I could see that finishing any which way. It's going to come down to -to head-to-head matchups. And for the fact that Denver, they have the second fewest rest disadvantaged games going forward. Like they've got three, and I believe that Minnesota, OKC, and LA have in between six and eight between them for the rest of the, the calendar year. So like 35 to 40 games for those other teams. Denver, they've only got three more of those games remaining. So just got to get through them. But it's going to come down to the head-to-head matchups. It's going to come down to which team wants it more. It's going to come down to do the Nuggets prepare themselves to face Minnesota, OKC, the Clippers. How prepared are they for those moments? How amped up are they for those moments? Do they just mean, like, are they just other regular season games? Or are they trying to fight for seeding? Are they trying to make a point in those matchups? I have to figure it's going to be closer to the latter because there are certain ones that you can't get up for. And for Denver facing OKC, they beat OKC third game of the season, basically the third game of Chet Holmgren's career. And since then, they've lost two in a row to OKC. Their next matchup is in a week from now, January 31st. So that's right around the corner. Um, Denver has to go on the road for that one, but that's going to be one that everybody's amped up for, including the OKC crowd. By the way, last night, OKC was gifted a win absolutely gifted a win by the refs. And I'd be worried, like that's just one of those where if you're, if you're the Nuggets, if you're trying to figure out how are we going to get the one seed, you watch last night's game where they were just gifted one by calling Chauncey Billups for two separate technicals and then ejecting him uh, in a one-point game where you were winning by one and then you basically give OKC the ball and the tie and then Jalen Williams makes a play. That was tough. That was a that was a pretty brutal, brutal way for Portland to lose, but uh, yeah, OKC has has earned the right to be given some of those calls. That was just a weird one for sure. Uh, but yeah, like Denver's got to win that OKC game. They got to win it in a week, and then they play Minnesota three more times in this one. March 19th, March 29th and April 10th. The April 10th, I believe, is game 80 of the season. Denver's 0-1 so far against Minnesota. So they've got to win two of those three, if not all three, in order to really separate themselves from Minnesota. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do much about OKC. OKC's basically earned a bunch of division wins, and they are probably going to get a tiebreaker for their divisional record. So I don't know if Denver's going to be able to catch OKC. OKC is the team that I wonder. And they are still like just rising. They're still trying to figure themselves out. Maybe they go through a lull here at some point if the team just can't shoot. But it does seem like OKC is likely going to be at least a top two seed, if not the one. And then Denver, they play the Clippers on April 4th, which, if uh, my math is correct, is going to be about game 77 of the season. Denver's got a 2-1 and record versus the Clippers so far, but... They've lost to them since uh, the James Harden acquisition. Um, and that was Jokic's 9 of 32 games. So he'll be better than that, obviously. Like it, it, I'd be shocked if he wasn't going like 17 or 18 of 30 in that particular game. But they're going to they're gonna dare Jokic to shoot, and Jokic is going to have to make some shots. So I'm curious to see how it goes. But if Denver wins that one, that would be a big one. That would be very, very big. But yeah, that's going to be a fun battle. The the one seed is going to be a very, very interesting battle going forward. And I am looking forward to seeing which teams are the ones that sort of rise to the top there. The way that you win in these situations is you you win the head-to-head matchups if you're Denver. And you take care of business in the games that you can take care of business. So you win all of your home games. You win the games versus sub-500 teams on the road. If you have to lose any games, losing the ones to the plus 500 teams on the, on the road are fine. Like, it's, it's not a big deal, except if they are the ones in the head-to-head matchups. So you got to circle those. You got to make sure that you're good on that. And I think Denver will, but it's going to be a fun one. So who knew? Who knew that the, the battle for the one seed would be interesting? I don't think Denver needs it in order to win an NBA championship again, but it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt to have home court advantage throughout. Denver's got the second best record in the NBA right now. Uh, if I go to this, yeah, uh, not not second best record. They've got the second most wins in the NBA right now. So if they outpace every team but Boston, basically, they could have have home court advantage throughout the playoffs unless they face Boston. So that could be a really big decider. That could be a really big mark here for Denver to try to achieve. And it would help if they had had. If they had home court advantage throughout the entire time, that would be a big, big deal. So we will see what happens. But folks, I think that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Make sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button down below if you are interested in helping out the program. Uh, if you like what you hear, let me know. I uh, would, would love to continue to hear positive or or even negative feedback on the show, just as if you want me to keep making it better, tell me. Tell me what I can do. I would love to uh, do what I can to to make everybody uh, as happy as possible watching the show. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I will be back, like I said, probably on Friday, probably Friday at noon after the Nuggets face the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden tomorrow night. Should be fun. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out. We'll talk to you guys very soon.